We told you about Gaia Provides a couple months ago. Gaia Provides is back. They are a holistic small batch company crafting quality, lab-tested, hemp-based health and wellness products for pets. Kaplan, you've been giving it to Pancakes, Kaplan. Pancakes the dog over the last few months. How's she doing? Yeah, she loves these. Uh, I give her the beef liver flavor, the ones for small dogs. Um, And I give her a half a treat in the morning, a half a treat at night, and she loves them. They're delicious. She always barks for them. Uh, she's a, she's a, you know, my dog's a little dog. She's a mental patient. I like to say she's a lovable mental patient. So she's always, she's always, uh, stressed out, neurotic, just like me about something, but these, these make her chill. They calm her down. Uh, she does, obviously, you know, she's in a wheelchair. She has a lot of, uh, discomfort, uh, naturally. And these definitely help. Uh, I definitely see, a you know, she's has a high quality of life because of, uh, we take good care of her over here and these are a key part of our daily routine. So we love guy provides over here in the Kaplan household. And all these products, Cap, are THC-free. They do not have THC, which makes them safe for your pets. And I know Pancakes is always scared of all those fireworks you have in Long Island City, Queens, right there on the East River. They're shooting them off all the time. How's she doing with the fireworks once she yeah. takes this guy it provides? Yeah, when I used to be, I used to dread fireworks. I used to dread loud noises and thunderstorms. Um, but now I just enjoy them because when I give them to the pancakes, this makes it, like I said earlier, it makes her calm, makes her cool, makes her collected, makes her just sit there and enjoy life. So these, Look at that. Uh, I love, you they can have these enjoy drops. fireworks again. You can enjoy America again. You can enjoy <laughs> freedom again with Gaia provides everybody check out Gaia provides and use our promo code lost L O S T for a great deal. That is www. G-A-I-A provides P-R-O-V-I-D-E-S dot com. And and then just so you know, they also have on top of the treats, they have these little drops you could put in the food. So if you, you know, if you wanna you, you can get if they don't like the treat for whatever reason, these drops are also delicious. So Gaia provides. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento... I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to Lost in America. My name's Turner Sparks. I am Michael Kaplan. <laughs> oh, boy. Be fun you one. can find me on tour. I'm going on tour. You can find me September 16th at Hyenas Comedy Club in Dallas, Texas with Andrew Heaton. The mighty Heaton. The Heaton heads will be out in force. We need the, lo- the Lost in Americans to be there, too, to at least balance the show. uh, hyenas comedy club dallas texas september 16th everybody come to that show i will also i'm also gonna be on if you can't if you're not in dallas if you're somewhere else oh i'm gonna be we're gonna be in ardmore oklahoma ardmore shout out 
September 14th. We have a lot of fans there. Ardmore. It's, you should do two nights. A lot, two nights in Ardmore. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be, and then I'm going on tour throughout the fall. I'm already starting to book January stuff. So things are looking big. You can find Kaplan at, oh, and that's turnersparks.com for all my tour dates. Cap, yeah. Kaplan, you can find him. Cap, Cap in America. In America. On all social media channels. Kaplan, are you... I can't tell if you're drunk or high uh, it's, or what's going on right now. So I... My kids are with my parents right now. And so oh, I boy. came home... And Randy Cap, was out. Cap's I, loose. Well, I came home and she was gone. And I was like, oh, she's out tonight. So then I was like, what am I going to do? I got nothing. I literally have nothing to drink in this house. I was like, going to drink like... Al- <laughs> like we have like... Al- what an, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> stop. What an alcoholic excuse. Like even the what the faucet doesn't work. You don't have water. I, I was looking for the alcohol, rubbing alcohol that we use for s'mores night. I was like gonna drink that. I was like, what do we got here? We got some weird bottle of chocolate flavored whiskey someone gave me my 40th birthday. I was like, that's gross. Do you have mouthwash? I saw a homeless mouthwash. guy drinking mouthwash the other day. I've got this bottle of vodka that my uh, nanny gave me from her country in Guyana, but I can't open it. I don't know the grip strength. It's like you got to be a real man to open it. So I can't get it open. Sure. So that's never, I've never cracked that one. So okay. I was running low and I looked in the cabinet and I was like, oh, right. There's a box of when I, when I order for when pancakes, Kaplan, my dog, I get her CBD. I spent a lot of money on her. Right. So, so you took, wait, you took dog medication? No, no, no. But there's a, there's, I'm, I'm taking the long way to get to this story, but there's, when you order her CBD, there's like a combo, like, oh, get human gummies and dog gummies, right? The same time. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. So you get them both. And I've never eaten. I give her one every day. I never eat it myself. So I was like, oh, I should eat one. Wait, you gave your dog uh, uh, weed every day? Like edible gummies? Every day. Hemp. Yeah. She's a senior <laughs> dog. She can barely. She's almost 13, which is like 90 in dog years. I mean, Does she's, she even know pancakes. like what day it is? Does she know what's going on? <laughs> they don't normally know what day it is. They're the best. They're the best Pancakes. Who's the president? <laughs> she's still... Uh, yells out racist things when you get her. Uh, yeah, you don't want to hear what she says about uh, Orientals. You know, you should see it. So that's pancakes oh, talks. Boy. <laughs> that's pancakes. But uh, yeah, so uh, I decided to eat a um, one of these gummies. Right, I've never had one. I have the full container, and I was starting to open it. And again, I got the grip strength problem, and I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> Comes back, keeps coming back. Well, to I had to get like a knife or something to crack it open, and I'm like, wait a second. There's one that's not. A friend of mine gave me one once that's not uh so I'm like, oh, I should eat that first. It's been here for like two years. I was a party he gave it to me. So it's like a chocolate one. And I was like, oh, it's like a chocolate, you know, CBD. I ate it. I ate like two, half of it, three quarters of it. I mean, you're high as a kite right Before now. I remember it, it's not CBD. <laughs> so oh, it's I, just it's just regular. It's like hash, I think, whatever that is. But yeah. in a gummy bear. Oh, in a chocolate. Oh, in a chocolate. But then. See, wait, can I say something? Because my wife and I have this, yay and I have this argument all the time. She says that that uh, you uh, you don't want to take expired medicine because it doesn't it doesn't have effectiveness anymore. So it's like eating nothing. And but but I always say no no no, just take it. Something's better than nothing. Right. Kaplan, you're proving now. <laughs> well, this has been on your shelf for two years. It's been uh, two and a half years, I, th- I believe, or maybe I don't remember the exact date off my time frame. But and I was when I was eating it, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that night. I I don't remember what day it was, but I'm like. What could it do to me, right? It's like one chocolate thing. It's like the size of like a Reese's peanut butter cup or something, you know? Yeah. So I ate it. And then at first, nothing happened. I'm sitting there watching the tennis. I'm having a, I, I poured a glass of sake. I found it in my fridge. Do you remember how when we went You're to- You're really scraping well, the bottom of the barrel. we went to Massachusetts, we had this amazing Airbnb host who like was the most like, he was like popping by. 
He's like, what can I get you? So he bought us all sorts of stuff. He stocked the fridge with like all sorts of kids stuff and bottles of wine and everything. when We first moved in. And then when we left, I was like in the real Jewish form. I was like, I got to take the good stuff to go. <laughs> so it was a bottle of sake, we, a weird flavor too that we never drank all week. And I'm like, oh, I'll take it. Maybe it'll come up. So today I saw in the fridge after I ate the chocolate. I'm so like, you're drunk on sake and high on a, a <laughs> weed chocolate well, from it. your closet. So I ate it. Nothing. I felt normal. I'm drinking the sake. Randy comes home. She's got dinner. She knows I'd be home. So I had a, I microwaved myself a dinner. <laughs> I started eating the dinner. She FaceTimes the kids. The kids are in Pennsylvania. They're, she, they're talking to the kids right as Ruby's talking to her. All of a sudden, my brain, it was like, oh, it like hit me. Like it doesn't hit you for the first half hour, 45 oh, minutes. Wow. All of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> and now you're toast. And then you called me like, and then you had, you were pocket dialing me. So you called me like four times, I think. Oh, and um, I was like spinning out of my mind. And then I'm like, oh boy, I got to do a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and then I was All right, Cap, well, let me get yeah. to some good news. Bring it on. Drunken high cap. You're living the life of a divorced man right now, <laughs> by the way. Well, or your kids go off to college. This is what happens. When the kids go off to college, anything goes. You just start getting wasted. Is this it? This is what happens. <laughs> your kid, yeah. Well, your kids went to their the grandparents for, for two days. So anyway, <laughs> let me get to the Literally. good. Patreon.com, folks. If you want to support, if you're having a fun time listening to this podcast, yeah. and we got great feedback on the Andy Curtin episode last week. Everybody loved it. If you're having a good time doing it. Throw us five bucks a month. Throw us some money. Throw us some, show us some love. Let Kaplan afford to buy, you know, alcohol so he doesn't have to go to this free sake from I upstate say, Maine. I had a heart attack a few years ago, so I put on my, my watch to monitor my heart rate because I got a little nervous about hash. <laughs> Give me a sure. <laughs> I'm at 78 right now. I think that's all right. But. All right. Well, Cap, let me tell you, I, we have four people. We have so much action on the Patreon this week. That's, so uh, Wow. First of all, I want to start with shout out to Blake Henderson. He's a friend of my brother's, Tyler Sparks. Blake Henderson came in. First time subscriber, $5 a month. Shout out to Blake. Thanks for joining. Hey, Blake. Thanks for joining the pod army. He's listening to Live from the Bunker three days a week, our full throttle comedy podcast. We're giving we're inadvertently giving you a taste Just of it right now taste. with drunk I, high cap. I take hash too. once a week for that show live. <laughs> Another shout out today. This just came in hot off the press. David Turf, oh wait, Teffer, Teffer Tiller, Teffer Tiller. Da- you say that you can <laughs> say it high and drunk. I can't say it sober. David Teffer Tiller, everybody shout out to him. We don't have his story yet. I don't know how he joined us, but I know he did. So thank you to him. We'll have to get his story and we can, we can introduce you all to him next week. Kaplan now. So we have a great, uh, we have a, are we at our high all time high with Patreon right now. Are we close to the party? I think we're in an all-time high. We're over $350 a month. Very exciting. $354 a month. Kaplan, now, two more announcements here. So, also what happened in the interim, since we left you last week, Will Prechuck not only Mm. came to my show in New York City, not only introduced himself to the uh, CPA to the pod, Gary Sparks, not only met my wife, Yaya Sparks, but also then went home and raised his subscription from $20 a month to $30 a month. Oh, wow, thank you, Will. We didn't even know that was possible. You put some hash in the in the water there at the comedy we club. Thought 30, <laughs> we thought 20 was as high as you could get. We don't know enough about our own business. Our customer knows he can go up to 30. We didn't even know we that. We haven't been asking people. Maybe they would have done it earlier. 
If we would have told so them. So we bragged about it on the on the Patreon show this week on Live from the Bunker. We bragged about how Will went up to 30 a month and all these other Patreon subscribers, you're scum. You don't have $30 a month. Will's the Daddy Warbucks. Well, guess what Dennis Owens did? Oh, he, he went <laughs> He went from $20 a month to $31 a month. Oh, he, he, it's like he went right over, $1 over. It's He's like we're beating out now. Will Will Prechuck. Well, so he raised someone said, no, 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 not on my pod. You know, he's used to being the king of the Patreon channel. Yeah. Yes. And Will Prechuck upstaged him by going to 30. So Dennis Owens went to 31. Love all of you people. Thank you so much. Dennis Owens has a T-shirt on the way. For $10 a month, you get a Lost in America number one in Armenia T-shirt. It costs us $20 to send you the T-shirt. It literally doesn't make sense. <laughs> We're losing money for you uh, on the it. first seven and a half weeks because we don't we're not very good at business. No, but listen, uh, ten bucks a month, five bucks a month, you get the Patreon show. Kaplan, now what we're doing today on the show, we're gonna have a regular Lost in America episode later in the week, but today we're doing our roundtable with the Andrew uh, Professor Andrew Heaton from yeah. the uh, Political to- Orphanage podcast from Doctor and with Dr. Andrea Jones Roy. She they both stand up comedians, but both smart people. She's from the Ask a Political Scientist podcast, currently working on a new pod idea. And uh and us, yeah. the four smartest people in America. You, you wouldn't believe it tonight, but I am one of the four smallest people in America. Smartest people in America. <laughs> smallest. <laughs> I uh will preach oh. go $32 now. Raise the ball. Raise. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. Gary Sparks is up to get it. He's going to get shown up here. Yeah. Dr. So, Bob, go to 40. My dad doesn't know how to donate to Patreon, or he would, but well, uh, Jeff Kaplan. Come on. Up. Show him, Jeff. Anyway, so uh, the, four smartest, it's the world's smartest podcast network roundtable, everybody. Now, let's get to it. On with the show. Welcome to another roundtable discussion of the world's smartest podcasting network. I'm Andrew Heaton. I'm the host of the Political Orphanage, and I am joined by Michael Kaplan and Turner Sparks, hosts of the Lost in America podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. How's it going? Hello, Heaton. Very well. Yes. And I want to say up top that you and I are going to be at Hyenas Comedy Club on September 16th co-headlining a show there in dallas texas so everybody come out to that mm-hmm. show september 16th go to hyena's website tickets are available now that We're is that is exactly that. right that's we, an we awesome are... name for a comedy club by the way most comedy clubs have horrible names i'm 100 yes, percent on board with hyenas i'm andrea by the way <laughs> hello that, that would yeah that would that would be uh andrea jones roy dr andrea jones roy of late the host of ask a political scientist and now a a, a panelist uh ex officio of of wspn what does that mean? World's I, smartest I don't podcast know. network. Yeah. I just put no, that I know what that means, but what's ex officio? Uh, well, because you're, you're like on a break with your podcast. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I'll take it. That's okay. That's he's yeah, vocabulary she, superiority yeah. to all of us. I just I just I got flustered, so I said Latin. But I, I do want yeah. I do want to highlight that. Uh, uh, yeah, Turner, we're we're doing the 16th in Dallas. That's open. It's at a comedy club. If you're in Dallas, come do that. We're going to hang out afterwards. Presumably, Jennings is going to join us. For those of you that, that know Jennings from the program, that that uh, my former producer who sometimes does things with Snuffies, he's going to um, almost certainly be there. And then uh, and then Turner, you and I are going to be doing a private gig in Tulsa. 
Uh, but we're also going to do a meetup in, in Tulsa on Friday the 10th. So if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or within easy Frisbee distance of Tulsa, uh, stay tuned because Turner and I are going to do a meetup someplace there the 10th uh, of, of September. Yes, and Heaton, we're also going to be in Ardmore, Oklahoma, doing a show <laughs> on Tuesday, uh-huh. September 14th. That just got added recently. That's right. That's right. We've, we're hitting all the major points. Go to turnersparks.com. I have all the information up there. The, the Dallas, Ardmore, Tulsa axis of comedy. We're, we're going to be it. doing all those three things. So, yeah. So if, if you were at Ardmore and you're like, man, that's a little too far for me to drive to Tulsa. Don't worry. We'll be coming to your hometown. Cool. Well, you, you guys want to talk about some topics? Let's talk. Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm uh, sorry. I was busy yeah. booking my flights to Ardmore, but um, mm-hmm. now I'm <laughs> That's <back>. right. <laughs> They have so an airport, right? Ardmore. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They got an international terminal. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be flying in from Shanghai, so mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so I think I think I'll kick it off. I want to do something wonky, and then we'll get to. Or actually, Turner, do you do? You, are we talking in Afghanistan? Is that is that your topic? Should we start with you since that's more newsy? Um, my or, topic. Or did you go with a different one? I went with a different one. I feel like we can talk about that, but I say let's talk about it and move on because kind of everybody's talking about it, and I think we all yeah. have the same opinion, don't we? Doesn't everyone have the same opinion that this isn't yep. necessarily good? The, the, What's the happening? Taliban's probably <laughs> my, learned my this lesson. Don't speak for me. I'm a pro Taliban. It's awesome. Comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, okay. Good. That we all agree it's been a, a wonderful development. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I'll. You know what? I'll. I'll kick it to something uh, wonky then, um, and and just dive into the wonk, which is the. Uh, the the child tax credit that has been a part of Biden's economic program. There is a lot of wonk talk right now in the wonkosphere about whether or not that should be extended permanently. So mm. right now, the way the child tax credit works, it works until December of this year. That's how long it's been authorized for. For families that make, um, or for single families, single parent families that make up to $75,000, uh, they get uh, $250 per kid or $300 per small kid, but basically $250 per kid. Two parent families of up to $150,000, same thing. So um, a, a wide amount of people are, are now eligible and just automatically receiving $250 per child. And per so, year? Per, no, per month. Okay. Uh, so it, it ends up being about, good. what is it, like 3000 to 3600 Yeah, to get really, to get to get the wonk fully out here, it's 300 I think, up till age six. 250 from age seven or age six to, to 18. Um, and there's no cap on kids either, but I did the math. You'd, you'd have to have a lot of kids before you really got wealthy off of doing it. Well, that. the Orthodox Jews are going to clean up there. That's so right. Yeah. <laughs> the how, mo- many, how many kids do they usually have? I don't know. Six to eight per family oh, or so. So, okay. yeah. So they, can, they can make like 20, they can make like 20 to $25,000 off of that. Exactly. That's why they're, okay, never mind. I was going to talk about Williamsburg, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> well, so, so the, the 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 debate that we're having right now, or that they're having, is do we expand this or not? And it's almost like this inversion of the 1996 welfare reform that we already did. So I was just uh, thinking that. Yeah. So so uh, do do you want to walk us through that, Andrea? <laughs> I mean, I I, 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 I I can, but I I'm no, very aware no. that I'm monologuing right now, and so I, I don't want I don't want to dominate too much. So in, in 1996, there was bipartisan welfare reform that happened under the Clinton administration in conjunction with then Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. Uh, at the time, there was a concern that welfare was essentially broken and that it had a lot of uh, sort of, uh, it, it was causing cultural joblessness. Uh, about nine out of ten families 
that were on welfare were not working, and there was a very big concern that welfare was basically keeping them from working because they had no incentive to go out and work. So there were measures that were added to it. You couldn't be on welfare permanently. You could only be on welfare for X amount of time and strings attached to it. You had to be applying for work while you were doing it. You had to do drug tests. You had to do things like that. And, uh, and that became the 1996 welfare reform. Clinton did a big welfare reform victory lap in 2006 where he talked about how the amount of people on welfare had declined and all these different things. Um, so we're kind of almost undoing that in one way right now uh, because it doesn't have any strings attached. This is not a, there, there's a, a kind of means testing in that you're only eligible for the money if you're at a certain point of income, but uh, you don't have to do all of these other things going on. And so on the one hand, there's this sort of idea of, isn't this great? It's much cleaner. It's less bureaucratic. It's much more easy to access. People just get their check in the mail. Um, on the other hand, there's a concern that it will undo the needed reforms that happened in 1996, and it will cause people to go back to not having jobs and things of that nature. So that's kind of the the locus of the the arguments that are going on. A couple of the things that I kicked up while doing this that I found interesting. Um, we actually have done a decent job combating poverty the last few years. Like like the, hmm. the thing that I noticed that really surprised me is that when we talk about the, uh, the the child poverty rate in the United States, there's an official child poverty rate, and it's it's kind of for families making about $21,000 and under. It's sort of around there, but it doesn't take into account any of the means-tested government programs that people are able to get. So if, if you're making $20,000 a year and you have kids, uh, if you get food stamps, Medicaid, housing, all those things, that does not count against you being in the poverty rate. It's just mm. your income. Yeah. When you add those things into it, and you go, okay, well, this person's making 20000 but they're also receiving you know, $35,000 worth of, of these various things or whatever the, the rate is. The, right. the, the, the actual child poverty rate in the United States is about 3%, maybe 4%. So okay. we've done a good job, and a lot of that gains happened between 1996 and now. It used to be 16%, now it's about 37 So I, I am kind of conflicted because I like cleaning it up and making it less bureaucratic. Right. On the other hand, I, I look at the numbers and I'm like, well, it, it, we, it did seem to be a good reform that we did in 96. And I will stop talking right. now. Andrea, well, go. I, oh. Okay, I have two questions. One yeah. is, the first one is, okay, the child poverty rate has gone down. And that mm -hmm. sounds like it's largely because of these government uh, policies, right? So food stamps, maybe rent help, whatever. Uh, mini question does that take into account that twenty one thousand? Does that take into account um, cost of living? Because twenty one thousand goes a lot further in some parts of the country rather than others. Uh, and then second, I can think it, the question of whether or not we want to do this or go back to ninety six or like undo what we changed in the bureaucracy and all that is like, what do we actually want to minimize? Right? Do we want to minimize the percentage of children in poverty, or do we want to minimize the percentage of people? on welfare because if we want to do the former i think right. you're right yeah. that noticing that the change has taken place is great but on the other hand i also understand the argument that says like right but we should try to get people working and i know that that's like wound up in a lot of deeper kind of covid policies as well my other question and kat maybe you can help with this is i got really hung up on that one point that you made heaton early on which uh -huh. is that it's 300 dollars per month up until age six and 250 per month from seven to 18 don't kids mm -hmm. get more expensive? Yeah, not well, less. Like they're gonna eat more and they're gonna break their legs and. Well, I'm glad whatever. you like, brought. Why does it go that way and why those numbers? That seems really weird to me. I'm I'm a parent uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm you know how like no matter what the benefit is you always get mad you get jealous of other people. Yeah. So I'm upset because my kids are now my daughter just turned seven so I don't get oh, like I'm angry at yeah. these freeloaders who are getting three hundred dollars a month instead of two fifty. <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, Cap, I do mean, you get two fifty. 
uh, well, no, we get less because it's prorated if your income's too much. So, oh, but you man, are getting money. You are getting let, money in this. Let's yeah, all but go and also say our income real fast. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I know. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been on million dollar yeah, listing I, I, yet. I, but. I should I should <laughs> note that it's it's not a hard cap at seventy five thousand and one hundred fifty thousand. It's just prorated after. And just that, to so get a little wonky, quite a my, few people in America would get this to to the tune of about eighty billion a year if we were to permanently implement this. Could so I we'll just, work it out so that I could have a kid? Like I'll adopt someone who's like thirteen. And then make a certain mm-hmm. amount of money, so the government has to send me like a dollar a month. Like, is well, just to, I think that is literally what would happen if, if you're, yeah, something just, like just that. Just to yeah. explain it, just to for, it, it, yeah. we, we we had a child tax credit for a long time. This isn't like mm-hmm. a new thing, right. but it used to be like when you did your taxes, you would count that money against your taxes. Uh, yeah, it was, the it, was a, it was a refund. Yeah, it was a refund, yeah. right? So for people who didn't pay, poor people who didn't pay any taxes, I guess mm-hmm. you couldn't. They would lose money because you couldn't get the full refund. You know, it was just up to a deductible. Right. Uh-huh. So they did that. They changed it where they were giving you the money in advance. Also, they raised how much. It used to be like the Trump right. actually Trump actually made a two thousand that tax cut bill two thousand mm-hmm. per kid that was a raise, and then right. they raised it again to three thousand. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Cap, do you have to prove you're spending it on your kids? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just no. like they're paying. It's actually, if you think about it, it's kind of a conservative idea because you're basically paying people to have children, right? Like right. we're trying to encourage. Uh, no, you don't have to prove what you pay it on. You're just paying it. I mean, obviously, I I got newsflash. Having children is expensive, so I'd, I've never figured out how much they but cost me a month. You're, you're breaking even, right? It can't possibly cost more than $150 a month. Well, if you have a jo- if you're paying for daycare and stuff, no, it costs more yeah. than that. <laughs> sure. Food. Heaton, I I want you to clothes. speak on behalf of all of Europe. Doesn't Europe do this like times yes. a million? Well, yeah, the 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 uh, basically giving childcare and things like that are very common in Europe. That's true. Uh, and also, I, uh, Kaplan, I'm glad you pointed that out. One of the big sea changes that has happened with this is not just the increase in it, but as you point out, it used to be an earned child tax credit, which is to say that if you weren't earning any money, you, you didn't get anything from it. It was just that it was against what you're currently making, whereas right. now everybody gets it. So if you're if you're making zero money, you're getting this off the top. Right. Uh, I don't I don't know if I would call it conservative because I don't think conservatives have ever wanted to try and well, cause poor people to have more kids by virtue of subsidizing. Well, I just mean conservative in the sense that like there's sort of a, a progressive school of thought because of the environment and everything that like we should stop having children whereas conservatives Uh, want to have more like we need they always say like america doesn't have enough population growth we need more kids so that's what they definitely can't come from uh foreigners (laughs) coming into the country right exactly exactly conservative (laughs) when he says conservative he means mormons (laughs) (laughs) well i I, I think that the the conservative argument tends to be twofold against uh a, a broad welfare state the the first provision is that if you make it too robust, you you risk having people just take kind of subsistence level checks and not getting engaged in the economy. And and so you, you breed a, a, a kind of low-level dependency that people don't come up out of. That's the first thing that they're worried about. Uh, the the second thing that they're worried about is that um, you're, you're apt to potentially uh, incentivize families to split because... And I think this is one of the things that actually came out of the 1996 reforms is because we had so many strings attached, we were trying to target it. uh, We wanted to give it specifically to uh, single parents and and unwed Mm. mothers. But that that creates a disincentive where you now don't want to get married because you will lose some of your benefits if you do so. So that tends to be the other really big conservative critique of a lot of these programs. However, I should note that I I don't think that this particular one, the the child tax credit, would would so much do that because again it's it's seventy five thousand dollars or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars so it wouldn't yeah. mathematically make a difference to you here if you were married or not 
How well, is... and that, but that gets this all gets very, I feel like, 2008 American politics, whereas like, are we talking socially conservative or fiscally conservative? And I think Kaplan, you're right. I meant social conservatives. Is yeah. Social conservatives, because yeah, yeah, you want to you see incentiv- incentivizing marriage. I'm imagining like home ownership and those various tax uh, incentives that come with that, and then having more kids. And yeah, if you look at the 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 reactions to oh, the U.S. birth rates declined in the last year. I mean, it was the right. That was freaking out about it, not the left, for all the environmental reasons just stated. I, I actually, I actually missed out on that. Is that a thing now? Like the, yeah. like the conservatives are worried about lack of lack of population growth. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's okay. not good for economies, right? You know this when you don't have population growth. I mean, when you have like in Japan and other countries that have had like no population growth, and Western Europe, mm-hmm. like one of the well, it's a, guy, a, a reason why we should have immigration, of course. Uh, right. That's to, to what Andrew and, and was saying. And we, we, we would actually have net, ne- or we, we, we would have net negative population growth were it not for immigration. So for yeah. to, to just merely to maintain a population, you need to have a 2.1 birth rate, or maybe right. 2.3. I think it's 2.1 birth rate uh, per per woman yeah. in order to maintain the population. So, we're under so that. I guess that's two, two babies and a, a one tenth of a baby that pollinates the rest of them. <laughs> two babies uh, and, and a dog. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we would we would actually be below that threshold in the United States right now, were it not for our, our very large immigration policy that's right. going on. Uh, but at the same time, on the flip side of the coin, like um, most of the the arguments against overpopulation have basically been: look, as populations get more wealthy, um, they tend to have lower population, uh, and and they tend to to have fewer people that are that are being born into it, which means that you don't really need to worry about these. Malthusian uh, right. delusions of everybody starving to death and you know living in giant ghettos because the more the po- the population becomes economically advanced, the more it's going to become smaller and easier to to maintain a standard of living. Can right. I? Um, I want to bring up a question here. So to me, Andrea said that what are we worried about? Are we worried about kids not being in poverty, or are we worried about people going back to work? Um, the other thing, the other question in all this is like the economy as a whole in the country. So obviously, if people don't have enough money to feed their kids, then you have homeless people like the homeless population right. goes up. The overall economy goes down, which is another is frankly what like a lot of people are most worried about when they put these things in. And how is the economy This is a genuine question. How is the economy done in the past year since we've had this $600 a month thing and there's, there's been, you know, obviously a lot of people lost their jobs, but then they pretty quickly started giving people enough money to live and exist and everything. And it seems to me like the economy's done. That's a big part of why the economy has done well during a pandemic when half the country lost their job. It's because they've now had, ex- and then people are now like buying cars and going on vacations mm-hmm. and buying houses and all this kind of stuff. And it's impossible, think- like the housing price is going up, which is a sign that the economy's good. So how would this over- affect the overall economy? I, I think there's three three responses to that. The first one is I, I think there's pretty widespread consensus that the uh, extreme <coughs> anti-poverty relief measures that we did in in 2020 were were effective at, yeah. at curbing poverty. So I generally <coughs> speaking, um, you know, between the uh, direct checks that people were having and expanding uh, unemployment and so on and so forth, that kept people from becoming homeless, and 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 it was a necessary curb against that. The second part is there is a very big debate as to whether or not having uh, unemployment benefits that extend too long and are too great uh, actually has a drag effect on the economy because people would rather just stay home than than go back to work. So no comment on that possibility. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but here's can I push back for a second? I, I, this is like okay, this is an argument, but how do we know until we try it? I mean, like so far, 
frankly, like what rich people care about is the stock market and their own money and their housing price going up. And if this is helping that, then right. this it seems like it's something that could be good for everybody. And if these people never go back to work, I don't know. Big deal. Like, well, I think the fear is inflation could happen. Why do we happen care? Just because it's unfair because they're not working and I'm working, but they're clearly still making a lot less than you're making, right? If you have a good job and like... Well, you're you talking know. about extending unemployment then, more, uh, more stimulus. I'm saying that this argument that, oh, well, if we keep giving them jobs, they won't go back to work. My question to that is, so what? Mm. Well, I think I, the concern might be, and I share, Turner, your the view that I think that you have, which is like, I guess I don't care. You know, they're making that I'm choice. trying to figure out my own view, but yeah, try, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the, that's the most progressive thing I've ever heard you say. Uh, but <laughs> It's not on purpose. Yeah. Just give people money. I don't care. Yeah, Why do I care? care if he just cares about his stocks. He's like, oh, my stocks are argument. a portfolio, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people are using... Oh, sorry, is, is uh yeah i mean they're all going to invest in GameStop, so we're done i think the argument is that businesses over the long term will suffer because they can't get enough workers and maybe i'm being myopic here because i'm thinking of like new york restaurants can't hire enough bus boys or whatever because people aren't interested in going no that is a nationwide problem i I know what you're saying no the ihop in philadelphia yesterday basically closed half the restaurants they don't have workers they told me right so So then the argument is like is that worse for the economy long term or is that a sign that maybe we need to pay our workers more i mean the left and the right have their own narratives around those as well but that could be where it affects the economy yeah, mm-hmm. but I, you- I I think on top of that un- unemployment, I've seen I think of the various anti-poverty measures that we've taken, unemployment's probably been the one that's been the most abused over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so no so that's one where there there are <laughs> people that are there 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 are people that I I know uh, that that are that are taking unemployment checks that are doing work on the side and, and so on and yeah. so forth. And so there there is a little bit of that grasshopper ant phenomenon going on morally, but also just a, a concern to whether the money is actually being useful in a good way for that. Uh, and and uh, and then uh, yeah, so I I think like the the other the other bit too, um, which I don't think is as much of an issue with this particular welfare issue is uh, the idea of the welfare cliff. That's something that I'm very concerned with. So uh, I brought it up on the program before, but uh, there was a This American Life episode where they talked to a lady that was receiving uh, some kind of uh, means-tested money from the federal government because her son had a learning disability. She's very poor, and at one point she confides that she would love for her kid to do better in school. But if he does, they don't get that money anymore. Mm. So it's kind of in their interest for him to not do. So that that kind of thing, I think, is emblematic of the welfare cliff. And that's one of the concerns with how you structure the welfare program, because if you make it so that uh, if you get if you earn any more money, you don't get any of these benefits you're currently getting and you suddenly lose, in effect, ten thousand dollars worth of resources available to you. People will rationally not do that. But it has the effect of trapping them at a low income level, right. which I think is something nice about the current uh child tax credit because it wouldn't do that and it doesn't seem to be enough to uh to to greatly disincentivize people from working uh I, one I of mean, the huh no go ahead sorry well i was going to say one, one of the things that i think could come out of this so like right now the fight is really just do we just keep doing it or not that's going to be the fight the fight's going to be do we do we make this a permanent feature of the american welfare state uh mitt romney suggested that we potentially do that but we also remove some of the other kind of bureaucratic means tested type things so instead of having both we sort of shift it over into this non non-specific non-targeted phenomenon which i i think might be the way to go in that you rather than having a, a, a myriad complex system that's really, really difficult to navigate and these checks, you just focus on doing these checks and, and go that direction. So that's another possibility that we might do. 
All right. Is the yeah. hatred towards bureaucracy itself that it is wasteful of resources because it's expensive to carry out and time consuming to do? Or is it just like a an aesthetic? Or you, you, to, to the, me specifically or to, to Mitt Romney? Yeah. I can well, both. you can speak on behalf of Mitt Romney. I guess the third option is is it's actually a barrier. This is what the left would say. One thing the yeah. left would say is it's a barrier to participating in these programs because right. if it's really, really complicated, you're I not think, actually taking advantage of it. I, I think it's more a efficient. hatred on all sides. I mean, I uh-huh. think on the, on, the, on the right, it's a hatred that it wastes money on the fiscal yeah. right, right? And that on the left, I think it's a hatred for the people who are trying to apply for all these programs that it's like so hard to do. You have to fill mm-hmm. out all these papers. Sometimes the person doesn't get back to you. You have to wait forever. You know, all right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, just give people money. Well, Lots and of on, money. On top of that, too, like I'll say one of the things that really bugs me about a lot of the government aid programs that we have, I find end up being phenomenal for really canny upper middle class people that know right. how to abuse them and don't get used. So like what like I one of the things I do when I'm in Tulsa is I go on, on Thursdays I volunteer under a bridge and help uh, homeless people and I pass out hamburgers and I clean up trash and things and Look at you. one of the big parts of it is just hanging out talking to people. And one of the things that I have found really surprising is just how unaware of everybody mm-hmm. at that level is of any of the things available to them. So like uh, like this one guy, he's a former uh, uh, bull rider. He got his teeth knocked out by a bull. Then I was talking to him and he was talking to me about how he was looking to save up money to buy dentures. And I was like, you know, have you have you talked to any of the services here in the city? Because there might that might be a thing we do. I don't know. Uh, and it, it just hadn't occurred to him to do it. And I, w- I walked over to a table and went, do we do this? And they went, oh, Catholic Charities actually has that. Um, so there, there seems to be kind of a disconnect there a lot of the time, right. too, where I find that people that most need this stuff are, are oftentimes completely unaware of it. People that don't need it kind of know how to take advantage of it to you know supplement their income so that they can go to vacation to Italy. That's yeah, one of this- the things that bugs me. This is very anecdotal, but uh, when I was in grad school, there was a lot of talk of if you like, because you make no money in grad school, but it's still enough and you're in grad school. So you're doing fine. Right. Typically. And uh, a lot of people like there were stories about people using food stamps to buy like really fancy cheeses and things like that. at Like a local co-op in Ann Arbor. Not not all the stereotypes that you don't want. I, I knew I knew people in. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say for the for the guy under the bridge who wants dentures, I don't know that the barrier you could get into the weeds on this particular case is like, is the barrier the potential bureaucracy or the awareness full stop? And are those separate problems? Right. For, but that's, for, for him, I, I think it, it is so much better to just cut that guy a check. I think it's so much yeah. better for him to just get the money and the the. the the potential for him is that he might. I don't think that particular guy that I know, but other other people might have uh, have substance abuse problems. So it's possible that you're going to just be subsidizing that um, for people that are not going to spend it on that, but also don't know the system very well. It would be much much better just to give them a check. Sounds good. Should we move on to the next one? I think I think I think we should. I think Let's we should. Th- th- thank you for indulging me on this this one. Uh, yeah. I I remain slightly conflicted on it, but uh, but As, I feel like we we were able to to wallow in it. So let's let's go on. Who wants I, to talk next? I feel like mine is an amazing segue from what we just talked about. So okay. I'm going to nominate mine unless there are objections. <laughs> so go so ahead. Go Take the we're lead. talking child poverty. We're talking guy who can't get teeth. Uh, now I want to talk about what the world's richest of the rich did during the <laughs> pandemic. Like you. I feel like that's just as important and requires just as much of all of our collective energy. Uh, So I became very obsessed with what rich people were doing during the pandemic. And uh, I also watched The Crown because I'm insufferable. And I got very uh, interested in that island that Princess Margaret used to go to called Moustique. And I realized that you can go to it. You don't have to be a multi-gabillionaire to go. 
So uh, last week and the week before, I was in the Caribbean. I went to St. Lucia first because I couldn't afford two weeks in Moustique. So I went to St. Lucia for a week, which is in the southeast of the Caribbean. And then Moustique, which is a private island owned by a company inside of a country called St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And that whole setup is insane because they just bought the island from the country. Uh, And then only super rich people go there and live in these massive villas like Mick Jagger and Brian Adams and all these people. David Epstein, Bowie used to go there. there. He may have been, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they also have a uh, one hotel, and the hotel has fancy residences and it has fancy rooms, and then it has three tiny cabins. So I stayed on the cabin in the hotel almost in the off season, which is basically I was the poorest person on the island save all the people working there but i was there for eight days and i basically you you, you were around. you were literally the only middle the middle class yes. consisted of andrea and yes, then there was exactly. the working class of the super rich it was i mean and it's very british heavy so americans don't really know about it stop me if maybe you all do but i hadn't heard of it until i Never started looking it. into it um i mean like like goop that horrible website had a big review of it so that's oh the kind God. of place we're dealing with okay. and uh, i was just desperately curious to see what it was like they also you know you can't get on the island if you don't have a negative covid test within like a second before you step off and all this kind of stuff and so it was you know no one wore masks we all wandered around etc so i was very curious to see what it was like and i had read in one of the articles i i read uh for this podcast was about the fact that rich people were going there and is that a good thing is that a bad thing and generally speaking everyone thought it was a pretty bad thing because during the pandemic super rich people were like all right and they just went and lived in their you know, 12 bedroom villas on this island that is not even really meant for living. Like they desalinate their own water. But other than that, they don't really grow anything or it's just like a rock in the middle of the ocean. So they have to get everything shipped. And that meant that they have like butlers and staff who were waiting on them literally hand and foot, which you could argue, well, they had jobs, but also, you know, colonialism, etc. So I went for many reasons. And one of them very selfishly was just wanting to get out of New York City. And my main takeaway is, uh, well, two, is A, indeed, colonialism is alive and well. I mean, the, the, it was like just black people serving expensive things to really wealthy white people. And I expected it, but it's always a bit jarring to see. Uh, And two, rich people are just as bored as everyone else. And they do the exact same things. They just pay a ton more money for it. So the island would have these activities every day. And they'd be like, okay, Tuesday is happy hour. And Wednesday is live music night. And Thursday is taco night. And I would go to these things because it's literally one thing to do on the island. And it sucked. It was boring. It was small talk. It was just twice as expensive as anywhere else. The food was worse. And the people were wearing really expensive clothes. And that was it. So rich people well, are yeah. expensive. Can I present the other point of view? Um, isn't that good for then the workers who were there? Mm. So that I don't know. And I wish workers. I had a better sense of it. I don't know how much they get because the island is owned by a bunch of British people, I think. So I don't know what percentage of the income that goes from, say, the Cotton House Bar, which is the name of the hotel, uh, which is worth thinking about anyway, uh, how much of the income from that goes to the workers versus just the company? Hmm. Hmm. That well, I I'm, del- I'm delighted to hear that, that rich people are as bored as we were. That, God, that, they were that bored. pleases me. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not, 
I, I am far less bothered by just uh, sort of the concept of inequality than I am yeah. of poverty. So this this does not terribly like assuming that none of the people were captured, a la uh, the the most dangerous game. I'm yes. not really right. bothered by them going to the island or anything like that. But kind of pleased to know that they're not having a better time than me. No, they really aren't. And and mm. I could be, you know, that I wasn't invited to the maybe cool they didn't invite you. Yeah, secret clubs. Yeah, but the things that I saw and was part of uh, were unremarkable it was no better than like a obnoxious work drinks that i've gone to before where it's kind of small talk and you're kind of bored and i mean the, oh, that... the one cool thing is that john cleese was there and we had breakfast near each oh, other oh look at that yeah, oh i was about to say did you get did you talk to him no you're the whole thing is like you're not supposed to talk to people this is a refuge for the rich and famous to not you know so if you went up and talked to him would they throw you off the island autograph that kind of thing <laughs> Okay. I went uh, by Tommy Hilfiger's house, and it was very nice. He's he's got uh, somebody alerted me that John Cleese has a new documentary coming out on cancel culture, and that Ooh. might be my opportunity to interview John Cleese. I just that have to be. figure out who his PR people are. And Andrea, be. if you just risk getting kicked off that island, maybe <laughs> you could have co-hosted that particular episode with me by snaring John Cleese, but you didn't. It have was my ever... last full day on the island. I should have uh, mm-hmm. just gone for it. Have you guys ever done a show with Camilla Cleese? Do you know her? No. John Cleese's daughter is like a stand-up comedian, and you can't see me, but I'm doing quotation marks. Got it. Uh, uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles, and uh, it's pretty rough. Let me just tell you that much. Mm. What I'm hearing here is that if I'd stayed in Los Angeles, there's a chance I could marry into the Cleese dynasty. Is that right? I, there is, yeah. I mean, you might want to mm. bring it up. She's a, she's a um, Maybe he'll set you up with his daughter. Andrew Cleese has a good ring to it, I have to say. Yeah, you know what? At the end of it, I'll be like, listen, I haven't even been recording this conversation. This is really just to figure out what the setup is of your daughter. And, uh, you know, you know I'm a good guy Let's now. Just say, in your best interest, then, I will not I will not continue my review of her comedy set. So. <laughs> yeah. That's Patreon, Patreon content. So yeah, the one, the one uh, thing I will say to, to derail Heaton's marriage plans is on the inequality versus poverty thing. I was thinking about that a lot, and I agree that inequality, fine. I had a professor in grad school who said something that I still don't have a good answer to, where he basically said, Heaton, what you said, which was, if inequality, why is inequality on its own bad, provided that the lowest class or the lowest group or the lowest whatever is okay? Who cares as long as... the the lowest Andrew, are you doing just fun. said that being rich sucks. So why yeah. do I care? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, exactly. The middle I've class never is had where it's at, baby. I don't know. I've never thought that they were having that much better of a time than anyone else. Anyway, I I, I know that like Hollywood. I, I mean, like TV and entertainment is, is built, and TMZ and everything's built to make us think that they're right. at some exclusive event that we would never. Oh my God! If we ever got into it, it would change our lives. It would be the best thing ever. Am I the yeah. only one who just never really bought into that? I, I, I hadn't given it thought one way or the other. Like, I, I want to be clear that this isn't a place that I've aspired to go to for a long time. I think I just went insane during the pandemic and it like jumped out to me as a place that you could go. I was like, all right, like, let's see. And I yeah, I, so it's not like I, I watch these shows. And I'm like, if only I could be the Paris Hilton of whatever. Right. But yeah. it was more like I assumed it would be more different and there would be like culturally things I didn't recognize. But it, it wasn't. The only I, thing that was I, I really felt different. like there was going to be I, Andrea. I felt like you were going to have a a rejoinder to your professor about inequality, and we cut you off. Did you oh, did you have additional thoughts sorry. on that? 
not really, which is to say that I I think I want him to be wrong because I have it in my head that inequality is bad. I think some level of inequality is healthy, but really extreme. And we talk about Bezos having billions of dollars and the rest of us not like like I, I both agree with him that if we're all doing okay, who cares how high up it goes? But I also feel like there should be a mathematical or logical reason why mm. inequality on its own after a certain percentage, like the Gini index is off by some degree, is bad. Like maybe it is bad for the economy long term, like what Turner brought up. Or maybe it isn't self-sustaining or maybe I don't know, but I just wish I had a good answer to him. And I literally was standing on this beautiful beach looking at, you know, the sunset and whatever. It's gorgeous. And I'm thinking about his name is Bill Clark. He's now at Texas A&M. He was like, I was like, Bill might be right. <laughs> Maybe it's not that bad. But but the other thing I do want to say is that there's a ton of poverty on St. Vincent, the main mm. island. I think the staff live in quite a lot of poverty. There's a tiny town called like Lovell Village or Lowell Village on Moustique, which is where the locals live. And there are like 40 Moustiqueans total. Very few people are actually born there, but there's a school. And I went to the grocery store because I got sick of rich people food and I bought like a can of whatever. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah. everyone seemed much more poor. And St. Lucia, I went to the, the one of the big cities in the South, and it was among the worst poverty I've seen around the world. So, so it's the, not so like the lower bound is doing great. But, right. I, I mean, I, I think that's part of it is the, the, the deal with capitalism is basically everybody gets wealthier. It's just that the wealthier get wealthy the fastest. That's and the deal. Ma- is, and maybe is, the goal the should not be to, to get everyone equal. Maybe the goal should be everyone should be equally entertained. As long as everyone's yeah. equally like no one's everyone's bored the same amount should be our yeah. should we shoot for. We're never going to get all the same amount I mean, of money. So. The chips and guacamole and margarita that I had on Thursday night at Basil's bar were among the worst chips and guacamole and margarita. <laughs> My God. So, you should write a negative review. Guacamole. Write yeah. a Yelp I, review. I do, I do think there's a couple of things that, that you British can add. British guacamole. Your, your, is uh, yeah, terrible. Uh, That's a bad well, order by you. Watery? I don't know like, what you're on. doing. Um, Andrea, I think there's a couple of things you can add to your, your quiver. So I, right. I, I, th- I think you're always going to be against inequality because I, I think that uh, so many of the things that we we dislike, and I am in this category, it, it's a, a visceral, intrinsic problem with it, and I, I think it, it probably has very deep evolutionary roots. Uh, so I, I think that I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think that there's going to be much you can find that's inherently bad about inequality, just just there being a gap. But I yeah. have heard pretty good arguments for people like me that really don't care. As long, again, I care about the floor. I just don't care about the gap. Um, right. The one, one of the arguments that that does give me pause is. Right, but if the gap is big enough, long enough, it, it destabilizes society because it breeds resentment and it means yep. that the people at the bottom might just rise up and burn it down. Even if the system's working well, they might just break everything. It, it might cause revolution or alternately it might breed so much discontent that right. people at the middle and the top have to live in gated communities with guards and that kind of thing. So that that's a, a kind of um, a, a secondary practical consideration. The, the other thing that I'll add that I think that people like me of the, the neoliberal persuasion tend to leave out is we look at like a um, something. I think it's Brink Lindsay's done good work on going. Look, everybody, everybody in America's raised in terms of material comfort the last fifty years. And you, you can look at these wonderful, uh, uh, very good research on how you know the, the lowest quintile of the the American population still has air conditioning, refrigerator, television, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're looking at just material comfort and access to material goods, actually everybody has gotten a lot better. But I that's that's one way of looking at it, and it's a very good way of looking at it. But I think when people are envisioning the rich they're not so much thinking about the stuff they're having as just the amount of control they have over their Mm. lives and the the immediate environment around them so if i have 
a refrigerator and air conditioning, all these wonderful things, modern dentistry. But I am so stressed because I have to be at work at 630 in the morning. And I, I, there's, I don't have any other options beyond that. And I, I have to do all these things. And I just I have no control over my life. I have no control over uh, the options that I have available to me. I, f- I feel like that is a different kind of thing that oftentimes gets left out of the equation. But Heaton, um, well, not but, I guess to add to that, it's, wasn't there a study done that once you make over, it's like 115000 a year as a family, then that you do become more happy the more money you earn up to like 115 yep. or maybe it was 130000 yeah. a year, and then it flattens off? Yeah, there's diminishing returns. So the, yeah. the, the number the number changes periodically because of inflation and so on and so forth. But you're you're right. There there is an identifiable um, trend of if if you are if you were poor to the point where you're worried about feeding your kids, you're probably unhappy. Yes. Right. Uh, po- po- poverty, despite you know the, the the fun movies we see with the scrappy village and everything, t- poverty tends to make people very sad. Uh, and, and stressed they're, they're, and unhealthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there comes a point, and it—I I don't know what the number is anymore. Let's say it's one hundred fifteen thousand. Where, when, when you reach that point, it's almost like the, the units of happiness decline in, uh, in comparison to the amount of money you make. So, right. yeah. you, you are you are getting happier, but it's much much less happy. So, let's say, throwing out numbers here, one fifteen being the benchmark. You're, for every $10,000 you're making until you get to $115,000, you are getting significantly happier because now you get to go on vacation and you get to, you know, all these things. And then at the $115,000 mark, you're a little happier, but it's not a whole lot. It's not very much. And, and at that point, it tends to, there's so many other things at that point that would make you much happier. If, if you're at that kind of uh, economic equilibrium point, like th- there was wonderful data that came out about 10 years ago that uh, joining a monthly club, like a book club or the Rotary Foundation or a garden club or whatever, the a D&D group, whatever the group is, is about equal to $10,000 of a raise for you, for most people, if you're yeah. above the poverty line, that just your, your ability to be happy is actually a lot easier in terms of things available to you beyond income level. But yeah, definitely declines in terms of, of the marginal utility of it after a certain point. So Heaton, I think we just solved the policy conundrum that you raised earlier, which is that we get people just above the poverty line and then rather than give them money per kid, just force them to join a D&D group. Uh, <laughs> or, jo- or sign up for our Patreon. Uh, yeah, something like but that. Turner, yeah, so I'm so glad club. you... You brought this up, Turner, about the money buying happiness. First, I thought the number was seventy five thousand, not one hundred fifteen. So I obviously haven't been keeping up with inflation. Yeah, Uh, but maybe that was single parent, whatever. But I will say that another thought I had while I was on this—it's a gorgeous island, like one of the maybe the most beautiful beach I've ever seen, beaches I've ever seen in my whole life. Uh, I was like, you know what? Money might be able to buy happiness, or maybe I'm still below that cusp. We haven't gone around and said our incomes yet. But mm. like I'm swimming in this beautiful <laughs> ocean and I felt a lot better. Like I was like, oh, the rich people are boring, but I had a great time. My screen time was down. You know, mm. I was healthier. I ate better. This, that. I slept great. And so money does buy a lot. And I but spent Andrew, a lot of money that week. <laughs> so Yeah. But you can yeah. also just go on a hike. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to reduce screen time, you know, people can <laughs> nah, do that for I don't free. Think so. I don't no. think so. No. You gotta be near John Cleese. John Cleese inspires you to reduce screen oh, that's time. That's true. Yeah. Turner, am I am I right that, that your story for us this week does kind of involve uh, psychic utility and traffic and things like that that we can kind of ride this train of things yeah, that make go. us unhappy? Let's, let's do it. So here's the thing. That was a uh, high five segue, by the way. Thank you. He's a, he's a pro. That's a real professional. <clears throat> yeah. So what I want to dive into is this idea that because people are now 
telecommuting. Is telecommuting even the word anymore? Cyber teleworking. That's a very 1999 word, but I'm here for it. (laughs) What's the word you use? Virtual commuting? I don't know. Remote working from home. Remote Remote working. working. You take commuting out of it. All right, cool. The remote working that it is. They're starting to have studies show that it's lowering traffic in major cities around America. Sure. The specific one I looked at, and this is early because it's, you know, the studies are now from like April, May to 2020, excuse me, 2021. So it could be like people are just maybe not everyone's back to work yet or whatever. But there is this idea that it's it. They're hopeful that it's going to be a long term fix in a lot of cities to commuting with the idea being that like not every car ever there, there reaches a tipping point in in on freeways highways where if you put one extra car it actually can create like an extra two minutes right of traffic and then the next car can create five minutes for example the next mm. car 10 minutes and so they've shown linearities like, baby for example like in new york on like jewish holidays if we're just the jewish people are staying home the traffic's like dead like gone oh. you know we're the we're the problem once again we cause traffic <laughs> thanks a lot i Jeremy actually had a lift up. driver say the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> well kaplan's doing his part here in staying yeah. home yeah. yes yeah. exactly i'm a good jew i'm one of yeah, the good he's ones a good jew. <laughs> keep being a good jew uh, <laughs> And so then, but so this idea that is, so then if that's the case, if this really bears out, then this could change how people live, where they live. Even if you're a commuter, even if you are going into work, you mm-hmm. might say, well, I can now live 11 miles from the city instead of six. And that could be like a 30 minute difference in traffic, comp- you know mm. what I'm saying? Sure. So... Uh- yeah, go ahead. Well, that, that'll that'll be one of the great things to come out of the pandemic is that people will probably have more options in terms of working remotely, right? Like, not everybody will. It won't be across the board. But I, I didn't think I could do this show 100% remotely from a foreign country when I started mm-hmm. it two years ago. And now I'm like, I could probably be over here for a couple of months and, and not really have any problem. Kaplan and I barely see each other in person anymore. We do a I, podcast together four times a week. I mean, it feels like I see you a lot, but yeah, you're, it's a good point. And people... <laughs> People with jobs, it's going to be, a, I think, a divide, though. Like, this is going to be the new, like, a class divide thing where people who are in management-type jobs are never going to come in their offices. They're going to come in once a week to, you know, or have a meeting. But And then the people in the lower ends, though, I think are going to have to come back to work. They're, someone's right. going to they're gonna make them do that. So um, it'll be interesting. But, it'll, that, but, but either way, it'll be a more pleasant trip without traffic. It, either way, it's going to change traffic. You're right. And it's bad with, for the subways as far as raising exactly. money for public transportation and stuff like that. But yes. Here's my question. Um, has anyone... It, did anyone enjoy traffic? <laughs> well, when you have great I podcasts did. to listen to, you can, it can yeah. make it enjoyable. Yeah, content like, like this. Ours, and, uh, yeah. I didn't enjoy like um, drive or, or what, taking the, in New York City, we take the subway, taking the subway in. But when I used to live oh, in Sacramento God. and it was a drive commute, I drove like 45 minutes to go to high school. I actually enjoyed that time by myself. I understand mm. it was terrible for the environment. Most people hated it. Maybe I'm an introvert in a certain sense. But I liked having 45 minutes a day each way to myself. But I might right. be in the... I'm sure I'm in the minority. I, I well, definitely enjoyed being in a car more than being in the subway. Be, being in the subway for a variety of reasons was was not super pleasant on a daily basis. Yeah, One the of the upshots to... And such. Yeah. Well, well, no, you get on the subway, you never quite relax because you're surrounded by strangers. And then some guy tries to sell you one sock. Not yes. two socks, mind you. One sock. And you're like, why are you selling me... What? Now I have to think about that. <laughs> now I have to, my day's what been derailed. that on? 
by this half by one sock instead of two. And so, but when I'm driving by myself, like I can sing as loud as I want, which I really enjoy. Yeah, uh, I recently I can, heard Heaton sing for the first time. He has a great voice. That's right, and yeah. yeah, Andrea hung out with me at uh, Marie's Crisis for like an hour or two, and you got to see me do some really good uh, Don Quixote, yeah, Don Quixote good. stuff when nobody was doing baritone. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was, it was great fun. Um, can, can I say this? I don't. It's not that I miss traffic. I do miss being in an office environment. Uh, I, mm. I am very much an extrovert. Wait, you're I, a blowhard. You love it. I'm a blowhard. I thrive on people. I, I was I was out uh, sightseeing yesterday and just kept stopping people to talk, like to pet their dog. But then I would just talk to them for five minutes, and and it was it was I could tell that they were kind of thrown off by it. But I was loving it. Such an like, American. To, yeah, such a well, such an extrovert. I, I have an ex girlfriend that describes me as a, as a Labrador retriever who hosts a game show, uh, which I think is pretty spot on. It is, and uh, I would I would love to figure out a way to to continue doing this podcast, but to be back in a in an office environment for like three days a week. Well, I'm pretty the, sure that's the Friars Club, isn't it? That's the yeah, Friars. That's your, that's your office. It is. Yeah. So well, I'm going to say something in defense of commuting on the subway, which is I have not taken the subway in ages, though I did finally take uh, not just the subway, but the PATH train to New Jersey for a comedy show the other day. And mm-hmm. it was the first time I've been on public transportation in like a year because I've been city biking and or staying home and or going to rich people islands. So uh-huh. I get on <laughs> Other the subway. Than an airplane, yes. <laughs> yeah. I get on the subway and I instantly, because there's barely any service, I instantly am bored. And first I look around and scowl at everyone on their phones and think, oh, we've all lost our ability to think independently. And then, of course, I get out my phone once I was done thinking about that. And I caught up on all these text messages that I I never reply to text messages. And it got so much worse during the Mm. pandemic. And I cannot keep up. And I've just been a shit friend. Sorry, a bad friend. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. for for Eric to deal with. Uh, But on the path train, (laughs) while I had no service... I went through all these texts that I was behind on, lined them up to send. The minute I stepped out, they all sent. And I was like, that's what I used to do, is I used to keep up with my correspondence on the subway. And I don't have that anymore. And so I don't text my friends. And so apart from you three, I have no friends because I don't talk to them. (laughs) That's Thank thank God we're doing the podcast. I know. Well, but so the commute was a time. So I prefer driving if I could, because Turner, I'm with you. I like sitting alone in a car. I think it's it's somehow 45 minutes on the open road versus 45 minutes in bumper to bumper traffic are two different experiences, largely, but maybe not. But I do think there's some value even to the subway in the crazy kind of way. And you know what? The the drive, I think going into work is terrible, but there is a great feeling when I used to drive of leaving your office, leaving your job and getting in a car. Is a, it's like a release, like yeah. a freedom, which you don't have yeah. when you're when working you, when at you home. When you work at home, it's really yeah. weird. You have to like walk around the block and like <laughs> yeah. tap a lamppost and go, okay, I'm done. And <laughs> yeah. Go right I back mean, to your house. Also, like doing stand-up comedy, doing it on Zoom, and then you Ugh. click off at nine, and at 9.01, yeah. you're sitting on your couch, and people are like, Why? well, there's dishes left to be done. What are you- yeah. Yeah. People. There's yeah, like the- <laughs> no release time. Yeah. yeah. Right, you don't get yeah. to stop at the bar and have a drink, and it's like you're just home. You want to be no- like cranking Tom Petty, roll the windows down, free falling on the highway driving home. Yeah. Well, that's why I do like, and I'm just going to keep plugging stuff that Turner is involved in, but Turner, I like that on your Friday night shows, The Living Room, uh, you at least hang out. It's only five minutes or whatever, but it makes it feel a little bit more social. It's like, all right, we all kind of say hi and bye for five minutes rather yeah, than Yes, so at the end, we do. We, keep the ca- we notice people like that. They would like yeah. want to talk, and we're like, oh, let's keep the cameras on. And sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 10 minutes. It's never more than 10 minutes, but it does have a yeah. bit. And that's The Living Room Comedy Show. You can go to Living Room Comedy <laughs> Show, <laughs> ny.com, every Friday Turner, night, you can just Eastern. You can just keep Venmoing me. <laughs> can, can, can I can I bring up uh, one one more thing about the remote working, which I think might become a thing? 
Yeah. Um, so, so this, um, I, I, I am not a labor attorney, so I could very much be wrong on this, mm. but I suspect that companies are going to require people to come into the offices as, as we finish normalizing at least a couple of times a week for most employees. And the, the reason that I suspect that this is going to be the case is um, in, in glancing at data insofar as it's been available to me, there has been a gender breakdown mm. in, in the United States and the United Kingdom in terms of who prefers to go to the office and who prefers to stay home. If uh, uh, Ladies that have children prefer to work from home. Guys that have children, mm. somewhat, but not as much. <laughs> yeah, I can And guys that. that don't have kids are happy to go back to the office, right? So insofar as this goes, this is no problem. People should be able to work wherever they want if they can. And like, that's that's wonderful. But the, the concern that I think might bear out long-term from all of this is if those trends stay the same uh, and single guys without kids are the ones that are mostly going to the office, I suspect by virtue of having that face time with their bosses, yes. they're also the most apt to get promoted, which yes. means that there's going to be a kind of accidental uh, sex favoritism that will go on quad demographics. Well, what about so women I, without kids, though? Where would they? Same thing, but they're statistically uh, there. There are yes, yes, true. Uh, that that would hold, but but I think there's going to be based on the data, there's going to be more guys than those women. Yeah. And so I, I think to avoid that and just to avoid the prospect of lawsuits, a lot of human resources departments are basically going to go look. You have to come to the office twice a week, just because that's going to avoid a lot of unpleasantness down the road. So I'm very glad you brought this up, Heaton. I will try to keep this short, but I do a lot of corporate training and whatever research around. Um, diversity and various barriers to it, uh, sometimes on gender, sometimes on race, sometimes on whatever. But the gender one and maybe class and race to an extent, uh, maybe nationality, but the gender one is huge on exactly that, where even in the pandemic now, where a lot of offices are saying, okay, you can start coming back. It's the men who are more likely coming back. Even if they, a, a man and a woman both have kids, it's more likely that the, the father is, is going to go back. And it is leading to exactly that thing. And one of the things I do in my consulting work is I sit in on promotion conversations and help them like point out some biases and issues with how they're doing it. And they're already doing exactly what you're talking about, which is they'll ah, say, well, this guy's already prescient. back in the office. Mm, he and for the, HR the department. Before Times version of that was like, this guy stays latest or he shows up earliest because he didn't have to go pick up his kids, whereas the wife had to or whatever, right? Because there's other gender dynamics going on. I will also self-promote a piece that a colleague of mine and I are working on that suggests that asynchronous work is actually much better for something called the credit assignment problem. The credit assignment problem is like you're a manager and you, you supervise a whole bunch of people and they lead to some great team success. How do you know who gets the credit for it? And the risk is exactly Heaton as you're describing is that the person who's got the FaceTime or is there or is the loudest person in the room or sounds right or looks went to the right school is going to be the one where he obviously led the way, right? And so one argument for working from home and asynchronous work is you actually have a lot more written documentation of who mm. did what. And you can actually see who's contributing to your team. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so in the same way that like uh, when, when, when they're, I guess this is a bit of a stretch, but but similarly to when, when they're figuring out who they're going to invite to an orchestra, they put a screen up so that they're just seeing the, the exactly. actual work rather than seeing whether it's a guy or a gal. It's or the mass singer approach. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. The, the, the mass, mass singer, singer is shockingly the most progressive. <laughs> it's the Pepsi so, so challenge. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so same, same kind of thing. If all of the work is via email and spreadsheets, then exactly. you're really just getting a better idea of the data that's happening rather than the personality and the, the biases that go into it. Interesting. To an extent, though, there was a great piece that came out. This was in the before times from uh, a journalist at Quartz. And the title was something provocative, like your slack is sexist, where basically you also get a written record of biased interactions. And you could see that male managers were much more responsive to their male direct reports posts on oh, slack God. than female and so basically slack which was meant to be this like equalizer along the lines that you're describing was simply just replicating this so it's not so much that the input and the biases go away it's that you'll have a written documentation of like especially if you're asynchronous not just online you say okay i did these five things now i'm passing it over to you in tokyo you do these five things now you pass it back to me and you actually have a log of who did what um, but you're saying the, only men do those things or something on Slack? I, the, I the Slack I, I thing that, that came out was just that that male managers were more responsive, attentive, inclined to comment on and respond to posts from male uh, colleagues and male but isn't that, right? So you, you can quantify it. So you you could basically go, Bob, we're looking at your 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 data here, and yeah. it says that you're you're thirty percent more responsive to men than you are to women, and it says that you spend sixty percent uh, more time talking to men than women. So ba- basically, right. being able to Orwell. Uh, yeah. or, or, or accurately, however you want to look at it. I, it's, it strikes me as Orwellian, but at the same time, fascinating. Exactly. Be, being well, able to Zoom go, yeah, like, gonna your, release, your data is sexist, yeah. Your Zoom was going to release a thing in the before times as well. I don't know if they have, of you could record how much people spoke in a meeting to get a sense of like, is this guy dominating oh. the conversation? Is this person dominating? But asterisks around all of this, sometimes you might talk to your male direct report. You know, on average, okay, there's probably something to be said, but on a case-by-case basis, maybe your male direct report happens to be the most prolific himself, which for maybe is related to other reasons, or is the person you respond to for reasons that are related to the business, that that makes sense, or this person dominates the meeting because they're the boss. So on a case-by-case basis, I don't know that you can necessarily infer that that means that every single Slack is sexist, Mm -hmm. but I think it's the fact that on average it comes out that way is provocative, more so than a case-by-case anecdote. Someone should make me a manager, by the way, because I would definitely talk to the women more. I never, I never talked to any guys I worked That's with. That's the creepiest thing you've ever said. Kevin. Yeah, and he, he compliments them. He gives them fashion advice. Just, yeah. He invites them over for about special team building Boy, activities Kaplan, at his men house. Men are boring. Yeah. Kaplan, your last job, wasn't it mostly, if not all women? Yeah, my company was very, uh, we, were on, we were very, it was like, if anything, the discrimination was against men, but I don't want to get into that now. So. <laughs> Cap, should we go to the next one? Yeah, yeah let's think, end uh, it Cap, on. Uh, I think you need to round us up, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, it's a, it's something, it's an old story, but it's kind of relative to some things going on now that I chose. Um, you know, with Jeff Bezos, when he went to the space, uh, he got a lot of blowback. A lot of people were angry about it. Um, but do you know, do you know the first living creature that ever went to space? Does anybody know the answer to this? Is it Laika? Yes, dog? of course you knew. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't know this. It's Laika, a dog. I always thought it was like a yeah. monkey. I always thought like we sent monkeys up. Because the no, United States... Communi- communists couldn't afford monkeys. They yes, could only afford that, dogs. Yeah, exactly. So the, I think America sent monkeys up. But the communists, yeah. in honor of the 40th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, said they had to do something big. So they got their brain trust together, I guess, and came up with this. They, they were going to send uh, Sputnik 2. They were sending a dog up to space, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I was dig- I was reading about it and they knew right off the bat the dog wasn't going to live. So like this would be and nobody was protesting this at the time. It was like this is just how it was. And they gave her like one meal 
you know, oh. which I think was very interesting. A very classic example of like Soviet mismanagement. Did she get to pick? Was this like death row? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was Multiple dogs of uh, dog food bowls. She gets an Eskimo bowl, pie yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, classic example of how women and men might be different and more sympathetic towards animals. A female technician went against protocol and fed the mm. dog before they took off, which they weren't supposed oh. to do. And I'm glad she did this because the plane uh, crashed. The, well, no, the dog died within like the second they took off, like a few hours. Like they didn't oh. even get to eat that one meal. And the oh. Soviets lied for nine days. They pretended the dog was alive on the news reports to the people. Uh, so they were playing like barking noises and weekend stuff. Weekend at Bernie's situation. Yeah. <laughs> weekend at, the, the dog had sunglasses on. <laughs> they should sue. <laughs> <laughs> they weekend at Bernie's, the dog in space. Uh, yeah. And so I would watch uh, is, that. Is, is, so that, is that like their moon landing hoax where people at home were like, wait a minute, I don't. That doesn't, doesn't sound add up. like a German oh. retriever. That sounds like a dachshund. They yeah. faked it. They, well, I, and the funny thing is they picked this dog. So they picked this dog because she was very docile. I guess they didn't want like a dog that barks too much. You know, like my dog barks like crazy whenever there's a vacuum in the hallway. So they wouldn't pick her. But right. they actually had a second dog to bring us back to what we were just talking about. There was another dog that was supposed to go. And that dog had puppies right beforehand. So I guess nice. there was like a show Good of call. like, well, the single, the, the, the childless dog got penalized. You know, it's like, yeah. they, oh, that's right. They, they, they favor the woman her. in the workplace who's got to pick her kids up maybe and say, <laughs> so they took the dog without the kids. They didn't have a family, sent her up mm-hmm. there. And I just think this is the type of thing we should be teaching. It's, I know it's a horrible story, but I think we should be teaching it in schools because mm. we have a problem. He, and I'm sure you agree with this, that a lot of young people have a favorable opinion of communism now. I do socialism. Think that. They don't know all the history, and I, they yeah. don't really care. Though a lot of people do not care about the economics opportunity and all the numbers you could give me about raising people out of poverty worldwide, all that stuff. Nobody cares about that. It doesn't speak to what they care about the heart strings, but what they care about is dogs. So if you tell people that because the, the American never did this, right? The American right. communist really cares about dogs. That's very true, actually. They yeah. love, yeah, they care about dogs more than I, humans, I believe. Most and of I them think, are on uh, on Andrea's island. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Pe- I know people who were posting things on Facebook about rescue missions to get dogs out of Afghanistan. They weren't posting yeah. things about getting humans out yeah, of no humans. So, yeah, exactly. I I was actually <laughs> okay. Last week, I hung out with a member of the House of Lords here in the United Kingdom. Oh boy! And that was one of the things that he brought up. What a blowhard! He, per- he was rather perturbed that everybody was more concerned about the dogs that were being yep. called upon to be rescued from the United uh, from from Afghanistan than the people that were over there. Uh, it was a topic that came up. Uh, Kaplan, I'm uh, I'm very much of uh, of, your, of your opinion. I think like the the thing that I always get sucked into is people are like, "Yay, socialism!" And I'm like, "And by that, you mean nationalizing public services?" And they're like, "No." I mean sharing and I'm like ah oh, god I can't okay from now on just go you know they murdered dogs right well <laughs> I do like, want to out- draw a little line here that socialism and communism are not quite the same thing that is so true. it could be the communists that are sending dogs to space but I don't know mm. about the socialists mm. also okay. sidebar can we please keep calling it Andrea's Island I'm- Andrea's <laughs> Island is a great <laughs> name yeah. for a reality show <laughs> the new episode yeah. Island the new episode oh, <laughs> say that <laughs> little what are uh, the big St. I was James. thinking Gilligan's but whatever okay fine uh, Ka- Kaplan, uh, when next you were in Los Angeles, I'm going to say something nice about Los Angeles oh for a change. Look at this. It's bad for your uh, brand. I, I know. As, as he- ugly as Los Angeles is, I will say it does contain one of the finest museums in the United States, if not the world. It's called the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Ooh. I'm not going to spoil it for people, but if you're in Los Angeles, I would literally put that at the, the top of your itinerary. Okay. Don't go see a bunch of names jackhammered into a gutter. Don't see some some letters they slung on a hill. Go to the Museum of Jurassic Technology. 
Uh, there is, at, at the second floor of the Museum of Jurassic Technology, an incredibly tasteful portraiture gallery of Soviet space dogs. And really? It is the, it's the weirdest thing. It's all these incredibly heroic-looking dogs looking up and to the left as if gazing into the future of a Marxist utopia. And it's just all the dogs that were blasted into space. Somebody somebody made an art gallery of them and put well, them in this particular location. Can I that ask makes a sense? question? Yeah. Why did they have to put anything? Why did a living being have to be in there? Right. Right, they claimed that this was they had a test to see how living beings would would deal with outer space, and they didn't want obviously to start with humans. I, I'm surprised I they didn't like take someone in a, a gulag and they throw them up. All, yeah, prisoners. What about prisoners? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't Navalny, do that. Navalny, put him in space. <laughs> but and they say that this was a success. I don't know how they died immediately, but I, I but somehow this was a success. And then they said they they gave it an award posthumously, where they called this dog the, the uh, that it was an enduring symbol of sacrifice and human achievement, which is great because like the dog. I'm sure the dog appreciates that. Like she had no choice. Sacrifice. <laughs> Painlessly or something. Yes. Also, that, good point. Yes. If I were on death row, this I think Turner's on to something because if I were on death row and it was like, all right, you get lethal injection, mm. hanging. Do we or, do that? Or I don't a know. rocket. Or go to space. <laughs> maybe you'll make it, and maybe you'll yeah. at least get to space before you explode. I would yeah, for if, sure. You go down space. as the it would first ever. Incentivize. Murder. I mean, I, I know there's a one out of five chance that when I wake up, uh, it's a thousand years later, and the the planet's been conquered by apes. Yeah. And like you know, I get a new start. Maybe I become a human foreman. I, yeah. it's, I'm, it's worth it's worth a shot. And we got you a one way ticket to the moon, you know, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh one other thing i did know is because they did they did you they didn't improve because they did have later dogs i guess what heaton's talking about that did make it back alive and one of the ones that came back alive actually produced puppies and i guess the same way you think like you know when a horse wins the kentucky derby you want those you want the yeah. offspring so khrushchev gave one of these puppies as a show a gift to john f kennedy as like a space a, puppy the space wow, puppy nice. that was that might okay. be why the bay of pigs didn't end in nuclear uh, holocaust i don't know <laughs> nobody talks about that <laughs> but yeah, that space puppy might have brought us back from the brink so yeah it's uh it is a great idea we should be we should like be sending like who could bezos take up with him next time to get people to be on his side like what would be a the, really great like gold make a wish or something yeah i think so that's a great or to get the real the real socialist it would have to be uh, adopted from a shelter golden retriever probably doesn't fit that bill <laughs> Yeah, because nobody says like you know how they say like with Bezos, it have to a be a publicly run shelter. That would be run. the distinguishing characteristic, Andrea, of it a socialist. It has to be a mutt. If it were a private charity, it's not That's socialist right. because That's it's right. a voluntary section of the Heaton, private community, regardless if there's a profit or not. Yeah, they don't know that. That's a good point. They don't know that. I mean, and everybody says you know they say like oh how much um, Bezos it cost like how much it you know they could have paid for, but nobody says that with the communist dog. You know like how much could Soviets have paid for with this technology? So we should uh, Heaton. We, we, we need to educate people this way. That's how I'll wrap it up with that. I was about I clear- to say Bezos yeah. should send really poor people up, but I was like, that's going to be not good. Don't do that. <laughs> send people from your island, Andrea's island. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I think we uh, solved great. economics yeah. today. Yeah, we, 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 we covered a lot of ground. Good job, everybody. Uh, shall, shall we go around and, and make our various plugs? Let's do it. Sure. Great. So I'm Andrew Heaton. I host The Political Orphanage, and... Uh, I uh, invite you all to come and check out the show. Uh, I also will say that uh, while we will have a bonus episode on the Patreon feed this week, we also spent about half an hour just chatting and warming up prior to all of this that patrons are going to be able to listen to. We we briefly got into uh, Andrea being in a reality television show and sort of hinted at my sex life uh, and at least <laughs> oh, some yeah. travel stuff going on. So that was a lot of fun. It's very and juicy. I will note, 
Uh, yes, exactly. And I will note also that Turner, who will will make his own plugs here in a moment, and I are going to be doing a meetup in uh, Tulsa on uh, the 10th of September. I will give people more details on that. We'll, we'll go to a pub or a bar someplace. And then we're going to be doing a proper stand-up comedy show at an actual stand-up comedy club in Dallas on September 16th. Isn't that right, Turner? That is right. We will be at Hyena's Comedy Club. You can go to my website, turnersparks.com, for tickets or go directly to the excuse me, to Hyena's website. Um, I don't know the address, but you can Google it. It's the main club in Dallas, Texas. Heaton and I, it's a Thursday night. We're going to be co-headlining that show. We got a friend, we got a guy opening and then Heaton and I are both doing full sets and then we're going to hang out after with all you guys. So come out to that show. Also, Kaplan and I are hosts of the Lost in America podcast. We talk to comedians around the world about the global news events happening in their country. So news happens in a, in a country, we don't understand it. We find a comedian who lives there. They explain it to us in the great manner that any comedian would. So it's funny, it's, uh, but also insightful. And usually it's pretty nonpartisan because comedians, for the most part, just tell you the truth. Um, and, and this week we're talking, we talked to Andy Curtin in Australia about the continued lockdown happening in Australia. They've, they're looking at possibly six more months of lockdown. They're in it for life. Like, God, God, that would be and- two full years. Yeah, and they've been in. They haven't for had a that while. much lockdown since all of those felons arrived there. <laughs> exactly, and then, and then they're keeping people in. And it's like a real hard lockdown too. Like you go to jail if you break it. So, we, so subscribe we to Lost in America. Also, our Patreon page is Patreon.com/slash Lost in America. Kaplan and I do a thirty-minute podcast, comedy, straight comedy podcast about stuff going on in our lives three extra times a week. So make that your morning radio show on your commute. It's a half hour. It's perfect time for a commute. Um, that's us. Mm. Or as traffic. you walk between your bedroom and your other room. <laughs> yeah, find some traffic somewhere. <laughs> Pacing like a trap lion indefinitely. Exactly. exactly. What about, uh, Andrea, give yes. us your plug. Yes. Well, first of all, I feel like, Heaton, we breezed over your book, Los Angeles is Hideous. I don't know if oh, folks right, have yeah. read that. We just said Los Angeles is ugly before, so there's that. That's uh, true. Yeah, for, for those of you that don't know, I have written a book. Oh, that's right, because this is going at everybody's. Uh, yeah. I, I am the best-selling poet mm. of a book called Los Angeles is Hideous, Poems About an Ugly City became number one bestseller on Amazon in the category of poetry, which means that technically I am a more accomplished poet than I am comedian, pundit, or lover at this point in my life. But I'm willing to do that. Probably the funniest book about Los Angeles written this year, perhaps ever written. (laughs) And uh, I have found that people have really got a kick out of it, particularly people that have visited but not remained in Los Angeles. I'm buying it for everyone I know. So uh, my name's Andrea. I am host of either... Ask, an, uh, ask a political scientist. I'm either going to re-up for season three or do something else. If you listen to the bonus Patreon content, you'll hear my hand ringing over what to do. If you all have requests for podcasts, uh, basically your options are more political science, complexity, <laughs> data science, interdisciplinary. You tell me. I might just do the Andrea Jones-Roy show and talk to people I think are cool. Uh, I also, if you are a listener and you are planning on being in Budapest, you can come mm-hmm. see me perform the Data Acrobat uh, on September 10th. And if you work for a corporation that I can't name because of an NDA, you'll see me give a keynote in a couple weeks. Hey. There wow. we go. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great, everybody. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a good week. Bye. Yeah. Bye.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.